Engaging conversation on the most urgent problem of our day and what you can do about it. Now, the End Abortion Podcast by Priests for Life. Janet Morana, Executive Director of Priests for Life. Welcome to our program. You know, you probably hear a lot of people talk about, you know, oh, um, yeah, I'm against abortion. Oh, but what about the woman who's raped? Somehow we justify it's okay to kill a baby if the woman's been raped. Well, first of all, I know from the experience of the women from Silent No More, the, and if you just got to take the survey and ask the women who were raped, and they've done studies. Dr. David Ritter from Elliotness who's done studies. And you know what they've said? The women who were raped and aborted their babies were doubly traumatized. They said having that abortion didn't unrape them and it didn't solve the problem. And they felt the guilt of destroying that innocent baby. And then if you talk to the women who were raped and did the right thing, you know, they had that baby and whether they made an adoption plan or raise the child themselves, they said it was a healing thing. It helped heal them from the rape. Well, guess what? We're not going to rely on rhetoric today because today joining me is a woman who her mother was raped. Yeah, she's the face of that baby that a lot of people say should be aborted. We're going to hear from her today. So joining me today is a great pro-life leader, Rebecca Kiesling, and she's got a ministry called Save the One. Welcome to the program, Rebecca. Thanks so much, Janet. So let's just go back. You know, you, your mother was raped and placed you for an adoption, correct? Yeah. Okay. So how, how old were you when this whole story came about, when you finally learned of your whole background? Mm -hmm. Well, I was 18 when I learned that I was conceived in rape. And I was 19 when I met my birth mother and learned the horrible details. Um, abducted at knife point by a serial rapist, really happy to meet me, but she tried to abort me at two illegal abortions. Wow. So you're lucky to really be alive then because she was being pressured to cave in like a lot of women who are raped yeah. to abort. Yeah, actually, she said there were no pregnancy resource centers back then, but if there had been, she would have gone. But nobody offered her any other help or hope, just abortion. Oh, boy. And, I, you know, you said I, oh, I was lucky, and I, I like to tell people I wasn't lucky. I was protected because I was born exactly to the date three and a half years before Roe. Wow. And she told me if abortion had been legal, she would have aborted me. And there's no question the law protected me. She backed out because of the legality. Wow. So, you know, basically, you know, we always say that legality gives permission, right? And we know, listen, I did a research for my, my books 
And there's recordings of abortion, women trying to terminate their pregnancy all the way back to 1500 BC. So there's a history of it's happened. But once you make something legal, it opens the floodgate, doesn't it? And that was your mother's case, right? Yeah. That, that, that law is kind of, okay, she would try to go maybe for what they call a, an illegal abortion as a doctor who does them quietly under the table. But she was afraid because of the law, right? right? The first one, it was an OBGYN's office. She had to go through the back door. And like many of the legal abortion clinics today, it was filthy, blood and dirt on the table, on the floors. And so she backed out. Um, she was afraid for her own safety. And then she went to a more expensive abortionist. She was to meet someone at night by the Detroit Institute of Arts, ironically next to Rodin's famous thinker statue. Uh, and someone would approach her, say her name, blindfold her, put her in the backseat of a car, take her somewhere, abort me, blindfold her again, drop her back off. She was told if she was further along than thought or if there are any complications, they would have to keep her overnight. Wow. And she expressed concern for her safety. He called her stupid. And, you know, she said, you're going to call me names, forget it. Then he was furious and began to swear at her profusely, and she finally hung up the phone. So she never went. Right. And he called her back the next day to try to talk her into aborting me for $750. The first abortionist was $500. I mean, I know the time, place, manner, how much money was on my head, all these details of my impending death. Um, there's actually the only film ever done on the Back Alley Network before Roe is a movie called Back Alley Detroit. I could watch these men and see the men who were to take my life. Wow. And that is my life-changing near-death experience. Wow. So now, you know, first your adopted mother, I guess she didn't tell you the story. Did, you, I mean, did she, did you know early you were adopted or she just waited, you know, till you were older? Yeah, I always knew that I was adopted. Yeah. And my parents were honestly just as curious as I was, yeah. you know? Um, but they had created a fiction like many adoptive parents do. Oh, your birth mother loved you so much that she chose to adoption. And, yeah. But my birth mother did not choose life. She didn't. She'll tell you that. Now, decades later, she changed her mind. But for the first six years I knew her, she maintained that it should have been her right. And then she changed her mind about abortion. Wow. So, so that first time you met her, did she feel uncomfortable, like meeting you? So saying, no. "Well, here's the, the uh, she's now a grown woman, an adult that I I wanted to kill." How did how did your relationship develop into her then being pro life? How did that happen? Well, she hadn't told me about the abortions until two weeks after we met in person. I asked her about abortion. I was going to Students for Life at my campus. Ah, in New Jersey, okay. yeah. And I flat out asked her about abortion. That's when she told me that, oh, it should have been my right. But when she first met me, she sent me a beautiful letter. Oh. You know, that this was not reason enough of having to give up something as beautiful as you were. And just so many beautiful things that she said. Right. So I was shocked for her to say, it should have been my right. You don't know what it was like. And I, and I don't know what it was like. But I know that she's okay. Life went on for her. And I know that my life has value. Yeah, absolutely. And so from this revelation then, 
what got you to the point where you became a pro-life leader and took up this cause of shut because you you now have a network of other siblings you know men women who have come forward uh i know there's ryan bomberger who we know is another voice out there uh whose mother was raped and so you've kind of like coalesced them right to this save the one yeah. and that refers to as we know uh the one percent of of all abortions that are done are done on victims of rape or incest correct that's one percent so that's why you came up with this title save the one the one yeah. percent right and my my friend Jim Sable from Save the One says, what percentage do you have to be before you matter anyway? I mean, Muslims are 1% of the population. Asians are 1% of the population. But you wouldn't say that, you know, they're not worth as much, that they don't deserve equal protection just right. because they're only 1%, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, the first time I met you, or I probably met you before then, but the first time when you brought me out to Priest for Life in Staten Island yeah. and Father Pavone filled me for Defending Life, um, there were there was a group of nine of us, but we only had a network of you know maybe like fifty at the time. Now I have a network of over twelve hundred. I have a database of over twelve hundred who were conceived in rape, mothers who became pregnant by rape or incest or sex trafficking, and they chose life. They placed them for adoption, right? Or they survived abortions. Yeah, um, literally survived abortions. And, you know, so all different types of stories. And we have, it's mostly mothers in our organization who became pregnant by rape. And then we have hundreds who are told by doctors to abort. So we specialize in defending all of the so-called hard cases in the abortion right. debate through yeah. our personal stories. Yeah. Well, you know, it is this, the story um, really puts a face on the political rhetoric. You know, right. it's very easy to get up and say, you know, as a lawmaker, oh, um, yes, I'll pass that pro-life law. But we have to have a an exception clause for victims of rape. Mm -hmm. And meanwhile, did you, do you talk to the victims of rape? Do you see what's better for them? Yeah. And what about the, those children? It's like giving them a death sentence, like you said, right? That's why it's so important for us to go before legislatures and testify. And so I've been all over the country and I've spoken in parliaments around the world. Um, I train others to do the kind of advocacy that I do to make sure that they're equipped when they go to testify. Um, you know, it's very important to look them in the eye. Don't read your story. You know, try to Tell memorize it. it. Just, yeah. If you got five minutes, memorize it. It's your story. And, you know, make them look in you in the eyes and share your heart from the heart. Uh, that, that changes views. It absolutely changes positions. You know, I changed the heart of Governor Rick Perry and Newt Gingrich during their presidential campaign and many, many legislators all over. Um, the very first day of law school, I had a course called Legal Research and Writing, and we learned something called IRAC, Issue, Rule, Application, Conclusion. You have to state the issue and then what the rule is or the law or the principle, and then you have to apply it to the real people in your case at hand, and then you have to make a conclusion. And this is what Jesus did, right, in parables. He, he, right. he taught lessons through parables. You could be the greatest legal scholar there is. You could know all there is to know about the law. But if you fail to apply it, if you don't know how to apply it to real people in your case, you'll lose every time in front of the jury. Likewise, if you merely tell an uplifting pro-life story, but you fail to apply it to the principle and fail to bottom line it, you know, 
you lose because they'll just say, oh, this is just anecdotal. Well, good for you. Isn't it all about choice? Oh, good for your mother. It was her choice. It's all about choice. We can't do that. We have to make sure that we tell the, the, the stories, but also apply it to the principle. Right. And, you know, it's, it's also saying that by aborting these children who were conceived in rape, it has a generational effect. I mean, now I know Ryan, just on the top of my head, Ryan Baumberger uh, went on and now he's married and he has a whole bunch of children that some of them are his natural children and uh, others are adopted. I mean, you went on to have a, a number of children and also did adoption. And so if this is a generational effect, had these children who were products or victims of being raped and that's how their mother conceived them, if they would just... Like, you know, as they make it sound like it's a big eraser, don't they? Yeah. Oh, just have that abortion. No big deal. Or like eraser. babies just magically vanish into thin air, you know, yeah. just poof. They don't poof. think about there being a body. And, right. Yeah. And you're still having to deliver one way or the other. Right. Yeah. And, you know, I've had, I guess, a, a, a lucky thing of getting to know a lot of families um, who actually, the, the, these women were raped and decided to raise the child themselves. Mm -hmm. And one I can think of is Cindy Speltz. And uh, she went on to have, uh, the product of her rape was her beautiful daughter, Jennifer, who then grew up, got married, and had, I think at last count, has three or four children. And so those three or four children wouldn't be here mm -hmm. if Cindy wasn't a strong mom and said, no, I'm not gonna have an abortion. I'm gonna raise this child, you so know? You, so you talk about generations. Um, my grandmother was heartbroken when my cousin aborted her first great-grandchild. This is my adoptive Jewish grandmother who was a, a Jewish atheist, but she hated abortion. And my grandfather had tried to force her to abort my aunt and she refused. And she didn't tell this story until two years after my niece aborted her first great-grandchild. Wow. And it was you know, my niece's mother, who my grandmother fought to save, but she kept that story a secret. And I think, you know, maybe my aunt, maybe my cousin would have valued life more if they would have known that story, known those generational stories that oftentimes people keep as a family secret. And then my birth mother, it was, and my, my grandmother would cry to me about how awful abortion was and how sad she was, um, about this issue. But for my adoptive mother, it was when my niece was in a teen pregnancy in Florida, uh, an unplanned teen pregnancy with my birth mother's first great-grandchild, that my birth mother changed her mind about abortion. Wow, see? And she had um, those generational photos meant something to her. You see, we ended up, I got to participate in a five-generation photo and it was the fourth time in a row that they had these photos of five generations of women alive. My birth mother has a photo of her as a baby with her great-great-grandmother. And so this affected her, that generational <laughs> impact, yes, yeah. affected her. She wanted that photo. She wanted that you know, special thing, yeah, of the generations. The and that's what changed her mind about abortion. Right. Isn't that? That's amazing. Yeah. Well, if somebody uh, is watching right now and listening and says, wait a minute, 
I have a story too. Uh, how would they get in touch with you to like add their voice to those other 1,200? How sure. would they do that? So not everybody wants to share their stories. You know, sometimes there's difficult family dynamics where they're not able to, right. but we do have support groups. We have a, a group of hundreds for women who are conceived in rape, a special group just for men conceived in rape. We have a group for um, mothers who raise their children. We have a birth mothers from rape group. We have post-abortive from rape support groups. And then we have regional groups. We have a carry to birth group for people who were told by doctors to abort. And then we have regional and country groups. So we have saved one in Africa. So contact me. That's the quickest way through Rebecca at Rebecca. Well, my website's Rebecca at Rebecca Kiesling.com. So Rebecca Kiesling.com is the shortcut, right? Yeah. And then from that spot too, Rebecca Kiesling.com, if they'd like you to come and testify, if there's a state legislature or something in your county, you need someone to testify. If not you, you can find others from your group that would come and testify. Because like you just said, it's that face-to-face story that changes those legislators' hearts and minds. And then there's hundreds of blogs on our website, savetheone.com. That's the number one. And you can read those stories. I've heard from women who said when they were pregnant by rape, they read one or two stories every day during their pregnancy because it helped reaffirm that their love for their child was normal. That they were making the right decision. Yeah, and it's normal to love your child. That's it. Well, Rebecca, thank you. Thank you again for joining me today. It's such a powerful witness and such an important, really important story. So thanks for sharing. I appreciate you. Love you. Love you too. God bless. Well, brothers and sisters, I hope you learned something to do today, that your homework is really to go to her website, read those stories, memorize some of those facts, because the next time you're in a conversation and people say they're in favor of, you know, abandoning abortion, except in the case of rape, I want you to remember Rebecca and all the others like Rebecca, that you're there to speak up for them too. You too can save the one. Thank you for joining us, and till next time, Janet Moreno, and God bless. This has been the End Abortion Podcast. To learn more, to help end abortion, and to connect with us on social media, visit endabortion.net.